Welcome back to the United Podcast for your match review, Man United 1, West Ham 0. Now, Larry, I've just been informed, um, a little bit slow and a little bit behind the times, that it is Halloween. Uh, not that we celebrate Halloween too much in Australia, but a few trick-or-treaters I did see when I was walking the dog a little bit earlier. So um, talk me through your um, day in regards to starting off the day with or starting off the week with a Man United win, then ultimately ruined by the idiots you see walking around celebrating Halloween. <laughs> uh, look, Tom... I mean, it's almost as bad as celebrating the league behind closed doors. I mean, let me ask you then. Who looks more stupid, people who celebrate Halloween or people who celebrate winning a league title and they can't even do it in the stadium? Well, that, that, that league title, which I assume you're referring to, honestly doesn't count. There should be an asterisk for numerous reasons. One, no one saw it. Two, they changed the rules with still a quarter of the season to go. So um, Liverpool are still on 18 titles. Not that they're going to be getting any closer this season because... We are going to touch on Manchester United and how good we've been sort of thing and sort of climbing up the ladder and three points here, three points there. Liverpool can't buy three points at the moment. Nottingham Forest, Leeds United. Um, just before you get into the Manchester United discussion, just a little bit of um, time on Liverpool. Talk to me about them. All smiles, mate. All smiles. Uh, honestly, they're, they're a shambles. It's so good to watch. I, I, the best part is I don't know how they fix it and that, that fills me with joy. They've got injuries, but I don't think injuries... I, honestly, I think they've lost their fire. I, I think they've come close so many times that... Do you, do you think Do you think it's this in regards to maybe Jürgen Klopp and maybe just a natural, not to criticise, but a cycle coming to an end? Or are you seeing a potential thing like Manchester United with American owners? Sir Alex Ferguson papered over cracks for so long. Jürgen Klopp is a fantastic manager, papered over cracks for so long. And suddenly, okay, potentially one or two things, no real proper investment and in replacing your stars. Look how we pre- replaced Ronaldo with Michael Owen and Gabriel Obertan. They've replaced uh, Mohamed, oh, sorry, Sadio Mane with Darwin Nunes. Is there a thing in terms of maybe um, that ownership model um, sort of surface into the um, top and sort of seeing what the real problems are? I think it's I think it's twofold. One aspect is exactly what you've said, but the other aspect is I think they're a side that was really, really good, but not quite good enough. Thus, they've been finishing second time and time again. Going to Champions League finals, not but however, not getting over the final hurdle. I just think that they're they're clearly lacking something, and I think that that side, regardless of their success or lack thereof, has reached the end of its cycle. So that, now, for Jurgen Klopp to keep the motivation of these players going, because a lot of the, the majority of that squad time has come second time and time and time again. So the motivation to keep to get up emotionally season after season. It's difficult. I think he needs to refresh the squad. And, you know, I want to keep this. Of course, I always love ripping in at Liverpool, but I think Jurgen Klopp is a good manager. And I oh, think he's obviously, he needs to be backed now to overturn that squad. Now, to your point, I don't believe Liverpool, like Manchester United's owners, won't offer the type of investment that would need to see them do that. So it might be that Klopp actually ends up walking away at the end of the season. Let me ask you this before we focus on United. Do you think it's too much now for Liverpool to make the top four? Because I'm, I'm willing to say top four is gone for them. That's hard to tell. I think we overreact and re- that's in regards to relegations or Arsenal title challenge or Liverpool tops four race. I think we overreact. But in, in two, they win two games and whoever's in fourth loses two games is a different picture and that's going to happen throughout the season. So um, at the moment, if you're looking at it and looking at how other teams are performing and how Liverpool perform, you'd say there's a very good chance they can't make the top four. And um, fingers crossed that is the case, but I think that's something we do have to sort of look at maybe after the January transfer window, after the World Cup, and see what type of investment is there. But we'll address a few guys in the live chat um, before we get into Manchester United stuff, because I assume that is what everyone is here for. But um, 
if you are enjoying the sort of Liverpool bashing, make sure you tune in next week as well for the latest instalment. I think they've actually got a tough game next week. I think it might be a weight Tottenham or I think it might be a weight Tottenham. Fingers crossed, Antonio Conte and Harry Kane can get the job done. But Stephen here, good to see you, mate. Yeah, in regards to Salah, in terms of maybe that was that decision, Salah over Mane, it'll be interesting. But tell me, just catching up on the game now. It's the first time I've been able to catch the podcast live. Always a pleasure to have you, mate. Um, do you get your thoughts in in regards to all the topics we get into? And Jamie, good to see you um, over in Northern Ireland. Yeah, apologies to anyone who does celebrate Halloween. Um, yeah, just not our thing. If you do do enjoy it, um, crack on, and hopefully you got what you needed. You but all um, the treaters come to your door, Tom. Now, when, when I saw them circling around the house, that's when I took the dog for a walk. So maybe they knocked on the door, but um, I wasn't home, so. Um, I, I dodged them. Tactic, tactical genius, um, like Eric Ten Hag. But on, on Eric Ten Hag's reds, Larry, the performance maybe wasn't there when you compare it to previous results. So we'll get into the individual performance and everything. However, it's a one of the most more pleasing victories for me. Now, we'll get into okay, what was different with the performance, why wasn't it as good. But in regards to the challenges the team faced and the manager and the individual players faced, we got through it. And that last 20 minutes, which I'm sure we'll touch on in a little bit more detail, I was sitting there just going, Look, the goal's coming. I've almost accepted a draw because I've been so used to that in previous seasons where you could see the, the goal coming, you could see the goal coming. There's an acceptance, okay, they, this is gonna, they're going to bundle one over the line eventually because they're going to get what they deserve. At the end of the day, if on a balance of play, you could almost argue West Ham deserved a point out of the thing. And that's been so happen- That's so often the case in terms of Man United's time. The last couple of years, teams get sort of deserved equalisers. And I just thought, yep, West Ham are going to get their goal here. But Man United fought through, through performances, through potential tactics by Eric Hag, And... Um, Got the job done. And as I say, okay, it wasn't the swashbuckling football, but I was actually probably more pleased with this over some of the other results. Yeah, I agree with you. The The sign of a good side, Tom, is the ability to win in different ways. Of course, every you know, every fan of every team wants to see their side in the ascendancy, being dominant, keeping the ball, etc. But there are two teams to a games of football, and West Ham are a difficult side. Um, we, we've seen that time and time again over the last few seasons, particularly under uh, the leadership of David Moyes. Uh, and it's a fixture that we've struggled with as recently as last season. So you have to say it is a pleasing result. Uh, and, and we have to say that in terms of Harry Maguire coming in for Rafael Varane, Harry Maguire obviously hasn't played a lot of football. His confidence uh, has been low. So I think that, that today's performance on him for him on an individual level, but also as a team, will do him a world of good. Um, and we have to say, so Linda, I mean, Martinez and Maguire, the last time they partnered together in a defence... Uh, United conceded five. So I think all in all, you have to be pleased uh, with the centre-back level of depth there. And David De Gea showing us for all the criticisms. And, you know, I, I maintain that he's got limitations to his game. He showed us why, though, he's still so reliable when called upon. He he, he secured United three points today. So uh, definitely happy with the result. It's these games where... I'm not saying you're not going to go on to win the league, Tom, but it's these games where we've seen in the past that this is what wins you premierships. You're not going to be up every game. And considering the lack of rotation, I think it's a very pleasing performance. Well, the point you make on De Gea, we'll get into that in a little bit. I'm sure his name will dominate the 3-2-1 discussion. So um, do get your thoughts in on David De Gea's performance and not only the performance, the situation around him. And I'll go to one or two to Eric Ten Hag quotes I think will be interesting to bring up as well. But Larry, an hour before kickoff start and 11 comes through as always. Now, maybe you can't read too much into it in regards to illness, in regards to, I forget the issue with Anthony. I, don't, I heard Victor, um, Victor Lindelof was ill. Not sure the issue with Anthony, whether that was an illness or picked up a slight knock. If anyone can correct me in the chat, feel free. So I don't know if there's too many, many talking points in regards to decision-making with those two missing out. 
but Harry Maguire comes in. And on the right-hand side, Anthony Langer came in. Now, do you think Anthony Langer over Jaden Sancho was Eric Ten Hag giving Anthony Langer a chance over Jaden Sancho or a Ganacho? Or do you think it's in the just in the spirit of rotation, keeping everyone happy, keeping minutes in the legs and sort of with a view to potentially Europa League and two games against Aston Villa? Just your thoughts on the potential, or not the potential, the, the one or two changes we did see um, through force in Eric Ten Hag's hand. Did Sancho play midweek, Tom? Can you remind me? Midweek, talk to me. What was that, Sheriff? I don't think Sheriff. he did against Sheriff. Was he? Yeah, no, Ganacho. It was Ganacho no, and started. Yeah. So, so it's uh, it's confusing with Sancho. That's two games on the bounce, not starting. Clearly, Ten Hag wants to see more from him, and I have to say, it's probably warranted, isn't it? I mean, he hasn't not been poor, but just playing within himself. Um, but I, I think not to come on at all is pretty damning. Um, unless we'll see if he starts midweek against Real Sociedad or not. Um, but no, nonetheless, um, Alanga coming in looked good. I, I thought good performance, squad player, came in and uh, did his job well, ran well, uh, played with a good intensity, and that's what Alanga gives you, isn't it? And uh, can I say, I know we'll get into into three two ones, but uh, Rashford, I mean, I know George has been on here quite vocal about not seeing Rashford as a number nine. Two games in, in a running scoring headers. And, and today's header reminded me of Ronaldo in the Champions League final against Chelsea. Very similar style in terms of getting on, on the back of his defender and powerful. And, and not, not, to be, not to be critical. First of all, huge congratulations to Rashford. Look, he's no short of criticism on this podcast. But first of all, one for any player to reach 100 goals for Man United. But secondly, a Man United Academy product come yeah. through, reach 100 goals. A fantastic effort. So nothing but praise. For Marcus Rashford, even potentially, I know De Gea's performance maybe shoe in for three points, in my opinion, just in regards to um, the occasion. But in regards to not to downplay Marcus Rashford's head, heading ability over the last couple of weeks, but in regards to the weekly debate, is he a striker or is he a left winger? Here we go. In oh, regards to the header, me, but... But, but in regards to, I, I woke up onto a lot, a lot of my timeline was filled with, say, see, I told you Rashford was more clinical than Ronaldo. And I was thinking, well, well hang on. Okay, he's in a bit of better goal scoring form at the moment. I wouldn't go that far. But in regards to that header, not so much the one midweek. I think the one midweek was a brilliant header. Obviously, a good cross by Luke Shaw. But this one, in terms of this heading, and is he a number nine because he shows his heading ability now? In my opinion, not to isolate so specific instances, we can sort of pin them down and give sort of specific reasons for every single goal scored by every player across the world of football. It's a header that he can score from the left because he's not pinned up against a centre-back in terms of back-to-goal and muscle, and he's up against a full-back with a running start from the left-hand side. That's not to say, okay, that's pr- proof that he's better on the left than he is through the middle, but I think that is a header where he, as Ronaldo scored that goal in the Champions League final, was pinned up against Michael Essien, who was playing right-back for Chelsea, not up against the John Terry or Ricardo Carvalho. Marcus Rashford wasn't up against the two centre-backs who was at Zuma and probably Dawson for West Ham. He was pinned up against and got a running start on their right-back, obviously, Right-backs aren't going to be as aerially dominant as a centre-back. So that is where I think we saw that. And first of all, have you ever seen Marcus Rashford attack a ball like that in terms of in the air? I think the confidence he showed to go and do that, um, that's what scored the goal. It wasn't so much, which was, it was a brilliant header. It wasn't so much the te- technique of the header or it wasn't the cross, which was a brilliant cross by Christian Eriksen. It was the desire by Marcus Rashford to go and get on the end yeah. of it. No, I agree with you. And, and I agree with all your sentiments and maintain that he, he absolutely he's a left winger. Uh, but what I will say is, if he had that heading ability against Newcastle, I think United are sitting pretty in terms of the Premier League table. But nonetheless, um, like I said, two headers in two consecutive games will only do his do himself a world of confidence. And congratulations on 100 goals for Marcus Rashford. 
Before we get into one or two other talking points and we sort of get into the three, two, one, Stephen here is saying, just saw Rashford Century. Can we talk about that across America? And first of all, okay, have your word on the actual cross because a brilliant ball by Christian Eriksen from the right-hand side. Ultimately, though, Christian Eriksen and Casemiro, I wouldn't say they had bad games or poor games. It was just, they were sloppy. And it didn't prove costly. And I think they, as I said, they weren't poor in the game, just in very uncharacteristic mistakes by both players. And I just thought Harry Maguire got singled out for a lot of criticism in regards to positioning at times. And I thought, well, okay, if you take a still grab of it and screenshot of a pitch, yes, Harry Maguire was out of position. But why was he out of position? Casemiro and Eriksen, again, I thought were fine in the game, but lost the ball in some dangerous areas. And um, I think that was a huge sort of reason in regards to the sort of subpar performance across the team. It was those two who were usually so careful with the ball. Um, thought a little bit besides that cross, um, a little bit off the pace today. Yeah, I'm concerned on the over-reliance of Casemiro at the moment, Tom. It's funny, he was sat on the bench and since he's come in, I don't think he's, I don't think he's, I think he's started every single game since he started. Um, since the, the Everton match or it might have been in the Europa League. But every game he's come in since the Manchester derby, he has started every single match. And I, and he's, he's playing big minutes every single game too. And I just think there's a bit of over-reliance there. I think there's an opportunity to rest him at times. So, get, you know, let McTominay deputise for him or or maybe not Fred, not in that deeper spot. Do we Eric, overthink that as fans? Like, does De Bruyne get rest for Man Now, I'm sure, sure he does at times, but did Roy Keane get rest for Man United under Australia? Now, I know the game has different demands now, obviously, and Casemiro's age and everything, but do we sort of read too much into it as fans in terms well, of just... I think that it depends on the player's position, Tom. Casemiro covers so much ground, uh, just being a, a number six. And the other thing with Manchester City, they've got the benefit of keeping the ball so that the movement off the ball isn't as relied upon. United aren't yet a possession-dominant side. Uh, I haven't seen the stats for the, the this match. I'll actually try and bring them up as we go along. But United aren't the team that's keeping 70% of the ball in the Premier League. And until we become that side and you're relying we're getting, on we're us... Getting to to we're, get, we're getting closer to that. We're getting a lot closer to that, though. We are, we are. But it, it's it's a, it's progressive, you know. And, and I just think because of that, there has to be a rotation of Casemiro. 30 is not old. And I, I don't like this term, lose their legs. You know, it's lazy. But in saying that, there's still an over-reliance on Casemiro. I think he's played six or seven games starting on, on the bounce. There has to be a bit more rotation there. Well, wait till we get into the right-back discussion on Diogo Delo. He's played every, well, yeah. He hasn't played every single minute, but he's starting every single game. And um, look, I think his name will come up in the 3-2-1s as well. But before we move into that, in terms of at the look, usually dominated every single discussion we had last year. Uh, his name hasn't come to the headlines this year. Obviously, he's been out injured. But the captain, club captain has come back into the team, Harry Maguire, got his start, took the captain's armband. Whether you want to bring that up in discussion, feel free. But ultimately, look, I don't think the performance was down. I could I could see the headlines up there. We played like this because Harry Maguire played and Cristiano Ronaldo played up front. So we can't play with these two players. I can see that. I don't think the performance was down to a tactical thing or a systemic thing in regards to the way Eric Ten Hag, Ten Hag lined up and the individual's in terms of the way they make me, they make us play, I thought the poor performance, not the poor performance, the way the game unfolded was down to individuals and bad touches and bad passes. I think that's what the sort of how West Ham got into the game. I don't think it was Harry Maguire making us play ten yards deeper. I think we're playing ten yards deeper because losers the ball so often, so we're doing a lot more defending. So just in regards to Harry Maguire's performance, because he hasn't dominated the discussion, we've got nothing to say about him over recent weeks. He hasn't been playing, but he is back in the team. And look, ultimately, it wasn't Verona Martinez. But ultimately, he got the job done. And I thought it was shaky on the ball, a little bit sloppy on the ball, whether we can put that down to rustiness. I think if it's another play, we would. 
with Harry Maguire, I think we'll be a little bit more critical of him. But ultimately, I thought, especially the last 20 minutes, maybe we don't get the um, win in the last 20 minutes in terms of the, the deliveries West Ham were putting into the box. He came up big a few times. So just your thoughts on, in general, in his performance? Oh, I thought he was, he was above average. Um, I think he looked a little bit shaky at times, uh, but... I expect that from any player who's lacking confidence, particularly defenders. I feel sorry for defenders when they're going through a confidence spell. You know, if you're a winger, you can hide that a little bit. You can just keep the ball, have a tidy game, the way Sancho's been playing, if you're a winger lacking confidence. But if you're a defender and you're lacking confidence, the room for error is greater. And then that's the problem. There's no way to hide as a centre-back particularly. So I feel a little bit sorry for Maguire in that sense. Uh, but in saying that, Tom, I think keeping a clean sheet will do his his confidence a world of good. You don't have to be – I know United, and I've, I've come on here and I've said it too, and ultimately I do think when we're talking about long-term, I don't think Maguire will be a Manchester United player. But if he's going to fulfil a position in the squad, I think there is a time to use him. And a side like West Ham who do shoot from range and have a bigger side and a more physical striker and Antonio and Skamaka – there is a time for a Harry Maguire, who is a quite physical player, put his head, particularly in, like you said, that final five minutes or so, he got his body there. Um, so all in all, got to say a solid performance for the captain. I'm not going to get into the debate on the armband. I think that's just a matter of where Maguire, how long he's going to be at the club or not. Uh, but as he's, you know, with all due respect, as his playing time is marginalised, I think you will find that, you know, obviously the armband will be stripped if he's around next season or not. Well, my next point is going into the three, two, one. So if you are in the live chat, get ready to, because um, it will cause a little bit of, not, not controversy, but a little bit of discussion, because I think there's one or two plays worthy of a shout. But Larry, any, any sort of talking points in regards to the games, whether it be a referendum decision or a moment that stood out that you want to discuss, whether it be from West Ham or from us, or crack on with the three, two, ones? No, not particularly. I think, look, United just got the job done. Uh, and what I will say is that's a game we 100% lose last season. Uh, what yeah. I will, and, and again, credit where it's due, we kept another clean sheet. And that's the biggest credit I can give to Ten Hag. You can, when you're a new manager, you can either set up to score lots of goals, which is what, if you remember when Jurgen Klopp came into Liverpool, they were scoring, but they were conceding. They left themselves quite open. Ten Hag has clearly taken a back-forward approach where he's thinking, actually, I'm going to tidy things up at the back first. If we keep clean sheets, we can give us a better opportunity of scoring goals. And I think that's proven to be the right way to approach it. Um, you know, the, the amount of clean sheets is pleasing. And, and what I will say is, and obviously just transitioning into three two ones, I love Lissandro Martinez, Tom. Mm. Oh, no, no, no shortage of love here. I, I think absolutely brilliant player, what he's doing on and off the field. Uh, I think he's been a breath of fresh air and a huge reason for your performances. I just think the energy that he brings both to the playing group and also to the fans at Old Trafford in terms of that support. Maybe that support isn't there in that last 20 minutes last season in terms of getting them over the line. But I think what that back four, especially Varane Martinez, Diogo Delo, et cetera, David De Gea is always a bit of a fan favourite. Um, they are providing an energy um, for the fans to feed off and I think it is helping. Because um, there, there was that nervous tension. If that nervous tension was there last season, I do think West Ham bundle one over the line. But um, thank God it sort of stayed in our, our favour this time. But we'll crack on the three two ones in the live chat. And as you can see, the banner along the bottom has the current scores. Now, it doesn't have today's scores in regards to adding points up. But you can see Martinez is leading on 16 points. Christian Eriksen close behind on 15. 
then a bit of a gap to Rafael Varane on nine points. So it is interesting because there's, there's Marcus Rashford on six points. I'm sure he'll be up for points. And if he gets a three, he moves right up the ladder in regards to those. Varane can't get points today. So, Larry, three, two, ones. I was thinking at the start of the, this video or at the start when we were sort of preparing the stream, I was thinking, look, 100 goals for Marcus Rashford, match-winning goal. Whatever we thought of his performance, I thought was fine. Not a great performance, not a bad performance. It just it is what it is. But ultimately, match-winning goal, 100 goals, giving the three points. But the more I think about it, and I do want to give Rashford the three points because, by God, I've been so critical of him in the past couple of years. I want to sort of sort of buck that trend and sort of get back on the Marcus Rashford train. But I look at the importance of David De Gea. I think it's hard not to say David De Gea was a man of the match. And if he is, and in terms of saving us, it's hard to say those saves weren't more pivotal than the goal. Now, obviously, the goal wins the game. But um, it's, a, it's an interesting shout, De Gea or Rashford? Or are you throwing another name in the hat? I'm all for De Gea. Um, Marcus gets the winning goal. But United aren't in a position to win the game if it's not for yeah. De Gea. And, and that's how I look at it. Um, crucial saves time and time again. And coming out of his box to clear the ball, which, I, which I'm loving seeing from De Gea. That, 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 was my ne- that was my next point in regards to De Gea. <laughs> we demand a few things from these players. And the one thing we well, – there's two things we say. Give your all, which is another debate with Marcus Rashford. But give your all, a fight for the badge. So that's one thing. And another thing we always say, regardless of the play, we're having a discussion with Cristiano Ronaldo at the moment. If you don't want to be here, leave. And that's something we label at every single player at every single time throughout history of support. If you don't want to be here, leave. So this thing with De Gea at the moment in regards to there is a bit of sort of discussion around his future and should we give him a contract? What's best for De Gea? What's, what does Eric Ten Hag want? There's so much discussion around David Harry at the moment. And we're looking at Cristiano Ronaldo, and not to criticise Ronaldo, but we would use this to criticise him. Is he going to change his game for Eric Ten Hag, or does Ronaldo just want to play Ronaldo's game? And the answer is obviously Ronaldo's game. He's not going to change for anyone. And we could sit here as Man United fans and say, well, he really should change because it's for the benefit of the team, not the individual. So that is a stick we were sort of, I think, rightly used to beat Ronaldo with. But we look at David De Gea. The one thing he is doing, whether you think he's good enough or not good enough, the one thing he is doing is fighting the state United. He knows he has to change. So he's changing his style of play, and it's very sort of sort of hard to sort of dissect that in regards to a goalkeeper. It's not a fullback or a striker in terms of changing their game. He has visibly changed what he's doing as a goalkeeper. And that in that in what t- that tells me is he wants to stay at Man United. Now, does he want to stay at Man United because that's where he's going to get his highest wage? Or does he want to stay at Man United because he loves the club? In this winning mode Manchester United are in, I'd like to think, and obviously his past history with Man United, I'd like to think that's because he loves the club and wants to stay Man United's goalkeeper. And that is... Uh, one, I praise the player for working hard. That's the bare minimum. But the other bare minimum we ask of these players is show that you want to be here. And De Gea is telling me that. Yeah, 100% agree. Couldn't say it any better myself, Tom. What do you think happens with De Gea then? Okay, we'll give him three points. I think Stephen here as well agrees. Um, David De Gea for three points. Rashford two, for two points. And Harry Maguire for one point. Interesting shout. But on that David De Gea situation at the moment, there is a little bit of rumours. I haven't seen the guy play. Diego Costa, I think he's a um, the Porto keeper. I haven't seen him play, to be honest. There's a lot of talk around him in regards to United quite keen and having one or two scouts sort of monitor the situation. David De Gea has got an interesting contract situation in regards to the club would be willing to give him a contract, potentially reduce wages. In regards to what Eric Ten Hag wants, what David De Gea is producing, what he can produce or what another goalkeeper could sort of bring to the team, just your latest feelings. Now, that the feelings could change if one rolls through the legs next week and we're having a different De Gea discussion. But as things stand now, um, or the latest on De Gea for you? I don't think he'll stay. Uh, the reason I say that is I think United have... I think United are playing a very smart PR game here. What I suspect is happening is it'll come to 
Now, from United's point of view, Tom, it's going to be, well, we offered David De Gea a contract. He didn't want to keep it, and he'll be villain number one. Uh, but the reality is we, I don't, the, the figures that he'll be offered. The, the problem is he, he accepted such a massive contract to stay. And uh, I, I just think anything that United offer now is going to be substantially lower than that. And, and I just wonder how that'll rub De Gea. Um, you know, if, let's say they offer him, for argument's sake, £200,000 a week. When you're earning three seventy five, I, I don't know if you, I, I don't know how that. Could, could you see a situation where he accepts that? Because I agree with you. No, he, why would you? He, you wouldn't. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's my love for the hair. Maybe blinding my view of this. Money would say he wouldn't accept it. That he would move on. He'd say thanks, but no thanks. I'll look look elsewhere. But there is a small part of me saying that he would potentially accept that. And we're seeing that with the change in not not that in regards to finances. But we're seeing a huge desire to play for Man United in regards to the way he's changing his game. So, again, very unlikely that he'll um, accept half in his wages. But um, one matter, a fellow Spaniard did sort of take a very significant wage decrease as well in the past to stay at the club. So I'm just thinking it's probably not out of the realms of possibility that he does accept a reduced wage. Well, I guess my the counter-argument to that is where does he get a higher demand? Uh, if United offered him £200,000 per week, is he going to get a higher offer elsewhere? I'd argue he wouldn't. Mm. Uh so, I mean, he can only step down from here. So I think it's all in United's court. It ultimately, it will come down to does Ten Hag really want to hail or does he look to a long-term replacement? Uh, so I guess that's what will be interesting. I guess if you're Ten Hag and seeing what you're getting out of De Gea at the moment, maybe you take the gamble of, okay, you know what, I, I want to rebuild the squad. If I get Diogo Costa, I need to pay £52 million. Do I need to invest elsewhere? Do I keep David De Gea around for another two, three years and then look to invest that money elsewhere and then look to get another goalkeeper after that? So it'll be really interesting to see what United choose to do and what Ten Hag prioritises in terms of the evolution of his squad. It'll be interesting as well, and people sort of unfortunately take a little bit of glee in this, but um wasn't included in the Spanish you know, 55-man squad for Spain. Thought a bit weird. I understand, okay, no, it doesn't play out the ball like Edison and Allison. But I think you see performance like that in regards to Eric Ten Hag. I don't have the quotes in front of me, but Eric Ten Hag came up with some quotes in regards to it was music to my ears, what I've been saying for so long when David De Gea came in. And so again, the game has changed, but 10 years ago when he came into the team, he was the best ball playing um, goalkeeper in the league. Now, yes, that was 2011, 2012. I understand the game has changed, but I always made the case that he's not as bad with his feet as a lot of people mm. made out. I think his ball so often has been, his main ball has been try and hit Fellaini 70 yards away on the chest. If that's not on, try and hit Marcus Rojo, who's got his wrong body shape, or try and hit Matteo Damien on the chest, who doesn't want the ball. Or he hits a beautiful ball out to Ashley Young, but he bobbles it out over a throw. And so I think his passes have looked so a little bit worse than what they are. But Eric Ten Hag came out with a quote in regards to what Casemiro is bringing to the team and that David De Gea can play with his feet in regards to he's provided better options. He's got players who want the ball, who players who are receiving the ball in the right positions. And look, Eric Ten Hag's probably not his ideal keeper. I fully understand and accept that. But I think Eric Ten Hag, and maybe I'm blinded in terms of this is what I want to believe, but it has come true, or not fully true, but in regards to Eric Ten Hag is viewing it the same way in the, I do in my opinion in regards to Lissandro Martinez, Rafael Varane, Diogo Delo whether that be Amasio, Casemiro, et cetera, receiving the ball off David De Gea. Um, it is helping De Gea compared to what he has had to deal with in previous seasons. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And that's the thing. I'm looking at the relationship that those players all have together. There's a plan um, playing out from the back. You can see what we're trying to yeah, do. Absolutely. And all those players seem to have built a good relationship. I don't think you can understate that either. When there's mm -hmm. a good chemistry between you know the, the Spanish-speaking players, 
do you disrupt that by bringing another goalkeeper in? It's not just about being a good player. You need relationships on the pitch and off the pitch. Yeah. So if De Gea has a good relationship with these players, then that's something that Ten Hag also needs to consider. No, very valid shout. I agree completely. Ryan here, good to see you, mate. David De Gea for three points, Luke Shaw for two, and Delow Martinez for one. He has to get the one point, Tom. He was brilliant. Well, we'll go I, Marcus, no Marcus Rashford for two points. So agree on that? Yeah, Rashford in regards for two, to, absolutely. Um, match-winning goal. I think this is what we had a discussion earlier in regards to Shaw or Delow. You're going Luke Shaw, I'm going Diego Delow. In regards to weighing up a, a performance, yeah, I think Luke Shaw performed better than Delow. And what we view as a performance is what they do on the ball, how Case they look as a football. There's nothing else to say. Those those headers at the back post by Diego Delow. Yes, big saves by De Gea. Big um, headers by Harry Maguire. Delow saved a lot of chances at the back post. Do you not expect that, though? I, oh, I think yeah. Shaw's la, la, last, last year, I probably wouldn't expect it. Last year, probably not. Yeah, because United performed so poorly. But if, if you look at the blocks that Shaw made, that, that yeah. was actually defensive capability. That was putting your feet in the right place, not losing your man. I expect my defender to get his head to the ball. And that's yeah. the difference. And that's not to discredit anything that Delo did. Of course, he contributed to the clean sheet. But if I look at the way Luke Shaw had to defend... That required to be intelligent, not be outdone by his winger. That's where I think that's where you want your defender. Because Luke Shaw, everything positive in his performances, Tom, has been with the ball. Today, he showed us his capability in one-on-one defending. One-on-one defending is when that's every that, that's what you pay the big money to your defenders for. That's where you as a defender gets found out or you show you've got what it takes. So for me, because Shaw didn't get outdone in a one-on-one position when we kept a clean sheet, in the game where we get the three points, I think the Englishman. Yeah, now look, it's hard to argue. And look, it's a flip of a coin for me in regards to those two. I'll look at the impact in that. And again, maybe that last 20 minutes is clouding my judgment in regards to if I weigh up the 90 minutes of Harry Maguire, I think probably a five or six out of 10. If I weigh up that last 20 minutes of Harry Maguire, it's an eight out of 10. And I think that's where I'm thinking that Diego Delo sort of really stood up and, and as I say, maybe sort of expected and standard. But... Um, we didn't expect that, and they weren't reaching the standard last year. So that is where I look at Diogo Delo. But in regards to the whole performance, I do agree Luke Shaw is worthy of a shout. So I would give him the points. So we'll go David De Gea for three points, Marcus Rashford for two, and um, Luke Shaw for one. And as you can see down that ticket banner at the bottom, those are the current standings. We'll add those um, points to De Gea and Rashford and Luke Shaw um, for next week's episode or, or the next episode we do do. Ryan here, is it just me or is Alanga not good as we all think? He's so ineffective in the game. I can't see him being the new Marcus or a Greenwood from the academy. I remember my thoughts. I think I, think I did a video straight after the Atletico Madrid game last season where he scored, the, not the winner, the equaliser. And there was a lot of hype around Anthony Alanga. And look, I, I really like what he brings to the squad. I think he's a good player. I think, I wouldn't say underrated because I don't think, as I, I kind of agree with Ryan, I probably don't think he is good enough. But I think he's maybe underrated in what he physically brings to the team. I think that's why Eric Ten Hag brings him in in regards to do a job here and there. So I think he does offer something in regards to being that superstar or not even a superstar, being that next player to come through and break through and have a great career. You know, I don't think that's him. And I made that point clear when there was a lot of hype around his um, coming through. I thought, yeah, I did I did like, I like the energy, but I think a lot of that hype came from Man United fans' desire and in desperate need of having some type of enjoyment. Everything was so bad. Everyone was doom and gloom. Here's his Young Academy product coming through. It gave us a little bit of hope, a little bit of ray of sunshine. And that's where I think a lot of the hype and excitement came from, where I think if we sort of took a step back back then, I think we'd realise he probably doesn't have the quality to sort of kick on and have a great career, great career in regards to potentially what Rashford and, and so um, are capable of. But I think Anthony Langer is doing his job. I think almost along the lines of potentially you could argue 
uh, Scott McTominay or Fred. Come in, do a job. Okay, now you'll be out for two or three weeks, but can you come in and play 60 minutes against Aston Villa in the League Cup and give uh, Anthony a rest sort of thing? So I'm happy with Anthony Langer this season, um, but ultimately I do agree with Ryan in terms of if you're putting a Champions League winning squad together, um, maybe not high on the list. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think you'll find, Ryan, by the end of the season, I think Nacho replaces Alanga's position in the squad. Uh, and look, that's just my opinion. Um, and obviously, ganacho has got more footballing ability about him than Alanga. So I think in in a season or two's time, I think Alanga won't be a United player, with all due respect. And obviously, I, I hope he does. And if he finds another level to kick on, then that's great. It means he's benefited and United have benefited. But, he, yeah, he does seem a little bit short. Well, it's a good problem to have. If we're having discussions about those players who are coming in and getting a job done in regards to performances like this, that's a good thing. If we're coming in and losing 1-0 to West Ham or getting the draw, um, the discussion is about the squad not being good enough. But if we're talking about these squad players, how can we improve just 5% here or there? I think that is a good problem to have. But before we wrap up, Larry, in regards to we touched a little bit on Liverpool at the start in regards to sort of heaping on the um, excitement in regards to their potential downfall. Manchester United are doing the opposite of a downfall at the moment. We're climbing the ladder. In regards, only a couple of games now to go until the World Cup. I think we've got three games left in the league of two. I think we've got Aston Villa. We've got, I think we've got four games left. I think we've got Sociedad, Villa twice, and Fulham. So I think that's yeah. two games in the league. I think Aston Villa and Fulham in the league. Are you reading anything in, into a mental thing in regards to it's important to – be in the top four when the World Cup comes around or it's not a disaster or in fifth? Like, do you think there is a mental thing in regards to whether that be Man United in the top four or in Arsenal in the title race? Does Arsenal need to be top to have any chance? Sort of thing. Like, just your thoughts in regards um, to going into this World Cup? No, I don't think it's a must for United. Um, because of the World Cup, it's going to be... Re- I, I think it's being understated how big this is going to impact the, the Premier League table because you, you've got the mental and the emotional impact coming off a, a tournament like that, which is the, the pinnacle for a lot of players in their careers. So uh, what the impact will be of that, I think what, what could deter United or push United on is uh, how deep do our best players go into the World Cup? I think ultimately that that's what's going to... I think we're going to get a winner. I think one of our players is going to lift the World Cup. I don't know who, but I, I could see in terms of you go through the nations we, we're represented there, I could yeah. see a Man United player lifting it. Absolutely. And, you know, so if Rashford goes to the World Cup and you have to say based on current form, you suspect he would. If he has a massive World Cup, I think, you know, that sort of form can push United absolutely like beyond. But it's way it's way too early. But by the time we go behind closed doors, you've still got more than half the season to play out. So it's way too early to tell. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, look, we'll definitely be bringing plenty of content. I think we made United-related content in and around the World Cup situation. In regards to, um, we'll definitely be having daily or every couple of days we'll be doing a show in and around the World Cup. Um, Harry Maguire lifting it. Look, it wouldn't shock you in regards to how weird the world of football is at the moment. England and Harry Maguire World Cup final. As stupid as it sounds, you could kind of see it. Hannibal here. Obviously, Hannibal will be playing against Australia. Borcho, good to see you, mate, from the football capital. Hannibal will be playing against Australia. Obviously, got Christian Eriksen will be playing against Australia as well. And obviously, the French. And I don't think Anthony Martial will be going with the French team. But obviously, you've got Rafael Varane. Fingers crossed will be fit. So the Paul Pogba situation, which we haven't even discussed this season because of his injury. It'll be interesting if he goes. But um, one, Larry, before we wrap up, one, your tip for the World Cup. Now, I'm not sure if we've discussed this before and you've given me this and I just haven't remembered. One, give me your tip for the World Cup and who you think. But also, in terms of not playing players off against each other, 
But also I want, if you could pick one Man United player to win the World Cup that you'd like to see, I obviously would like to see all of them win it, but is there a player um, you would like to see go all the way? I've got a South American feel, Tom. I don't know why. Not based on squads or anything, but I just got a feeling. We haven't had a South American side win since Brazil in 2002. And uh, I've, I've got a feeling. I'm leaning towards Brazil-Argentina. Don't ask me why. It's just my hunch. I had a look at the draw, and Portugal and Argentina are on opposite sides of the draw. So it is possible for Portugal-Argentina. Now, could you just imagine what how that would sort of play out in that final? final? That'd be amazing. Could, could you imagine? Like, Could you think of a bigger sporting event in world football no. if that was the case? No. In, in, in world sport, I mean? It would be phenomenal. And uh, some of the, uh, David Ornstein's broken the story. Messi yeah. looks like he might go to Inter-Miami. So it's yeah. truly, if Messi does leave Europe, it's truly an end of the, the the greatest rivalry we've seen in professional sport, in my opinion. Uh, would it put, would it put it a, like and look? It's, it's a very subjective argument. Fully understand that, and of course, it would remain subjective. But in regards to having debates at the pub, like we often do, would that put a draw a line in the sand and really put an end to the debate if it was a Portugal Argentina final? Wouldn't. Of course, it no, wouldn't. no. But, but but would it be like Man United in terms of? We have more titles than whoever. Like, no matter what the case, we can just say we've got more titles. It doesn't matter. And we can win that argument. If one had a World Cup against the other one, surely it would just... But yes, of course, it would remain a subjective discussion. I fully understand yeah, that. Yeah, but, but it wouldn't. I mean, let me point it this way. If Ronaldo wins the World Cup, Messi fans will say he's more, he's got more Ballon d'Ors, though. Like, you, you just... You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you, oh, yeah. Yeah. You it would just be amazing to just see that. I'd love it because I'd obviously like Portugal to do well, obviously, for Ronaldo. But also, you've got Bruno and Diego de as well. But then, if it's a Portugal Argentina final, I'd be rooting for Portugal. But then, obviously, our love for Lissandro Martinez will get in the way. You'd love to see him win the World Cup. So, um, we'll be tied and sort of tested in regards to our loyalty as Man United fans throughout the World Cup. But it's not far away, only two weeks away, sort of thing. So, it will be an interesting time. But, um, Larry, anything else Man United related before I send you to sleep? Uh, yeah, excuse me, Tom. Um, no, I, I think I think we're good. It'll be really just interesting to see how Ten Hag manages the games between now and the break because we've got four games uh, in a very small window of time. Uh, so we've got two weeks before we go behind uh, before we go to the World Cup. So, what's more important for Eric Ten Hag, Sociedad or the two Premier League games? I'm going to say it all. He needs to finish top of the group if he can because it, it well, that's going to impact how we go in the Premier League. It's two less games you have to play in what's going to be such a congested football calendar. Uh, so I think if you can finish top, you should. Uh, and what will be interesting is Martial's due back any time now. Oh, how uh, long have we been come... saying that, Larry? Yeah, but he's, he's got to be. He's got to yeah, be. He's, 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 he well, we've been saying he's got to be for a month. Yeah, well, I don't know. If he can come back fit, I think it'll really help the attacking third and hopefully he can be back uh, prior to Sociedad. No, fingers crossed. Look, oh, I think Anthony Marshall, when he has been on the pitch this season, has been brilliant. So, look, fingers crossed. It's just one of those things, unfortunately, not holding my breath, but I'd love to be proven wrong. And fingers crossed he can get back into the team and sort of provide that focal point the team is sort of unfortunately lacking a little bit through um, the issues surrounding Marcus Rashford as a number nine and Ronaldo as a number nine at the moment. Anthony Martial seems to be that perfect blend of both of them. So um, fingers crossed he can get fit and get back to scoring goals and performing for Man United. But um, hopefully everyone did enjoy that. Um, always positive discussion of Manchester United victory. Just one more comment here before we do wrap up, Stephen. Um, 
really enjoy the interaction tonight, mate. Um, Europa win is more important to set the tone for the round of 16. Premier League has too many games to predict a winner at this stage. Uh, I think, and look, every game is important, of course. If you were to flip a coin and sort of weigh up exactly, if you had to put money on which game is bigger, I think all the eggs are going into this Sociedad game. I think this is the big one for Eric Ten Hag, and he'd maybe take a draw. Not, not take a draw, but he'd be willing to draw a Premier League game if it guaranteed um, top in the Europa League group. But it will be interesting. That's only a couple of days away now, that trip to Spain. Spain, God, every time you... Real Sociedad doesn't scare me. Away in Spain, that scares me. I can't tell the last time yeah. we won there. I think it might have been... Actually, when Michael Carrick was in charge, we won in Villarreal, didn't we? Um, and I think the last one before that was maybe the Europa League semi-final. I think it might have been Celta Vigo. Marcus Rashford scored the free kick. But even when we're flying under Sir Alex Ferguson, you played away in Spain, you didn't come back with three points. I think um, the one I do remember was obviously Beckham against Deportivo. La Coruña, that long strike, I think it was a 2-0 win. But um, a shocking record in Spain. So it does worry me, even though we're better than Sociedad. Well, to be fair, they beat us Old Trafford, so who are we to say that? Do you think we're better than Sociedad? But um, away in Spain is going to be very tricky. But um, hopefully everyone does did enjoy that. As I said, um, if you are new, if you could hit that subscribe button, that would be great. So you can join us for our Real Sociedad preview. If, um, if you did enjoy it and are enjoying Man United's resurgence of um, a little bit of good form, please do leave a like on the video. Very much appreciated. And um, Larry, hopefully you have a enjoy the rest of your Monday. Um, I'm not sure, sure if you're going out in that shirt to do a bit of the Halloween trick or treating. But um, until then, have a good one, mate. You too, mate. Cheers. Cheers, lads, and we'll chat to you very soon. Cheers.